and welcome to this week's episode of the CMAP Study Podcast, brought to you by me, Charlotte, the founder of Future in Finance, and the money muggle best mate, Maria, who has no idea about anything financial, even remotely whatsoever. If you're completely new here, each week we dedicate a bit of time to walking you through your CMAP studies. So at the minute, we're focusing on the first of your three CMAP exams, which is the CMAP 1 textbook. This textbook right here, we are going to break it down chapter by chapter and make it a little bit easier to understand. This week, we're looking at topic 17, which is the FCA's aims and objectives. And I would love to tell you that this is this is the chapter that is thrilling and not even remotely beige, but that would be a complete lie. It's probably the most difficult to grasp topic I came across, or at least the most difficult to make in any way, even remotely entertaining is what I found from the prep before this episode. So sit tight and bear with us. But before we jump in, as always, I'm going to do the housekeeping fun stuff. Uh, What's going on, Future in Finance, this week? What is going on? Uh, Oh, in 10 whole days' time, the first of the masterclasses for CMAP 1 launches. So if you've been hiding under a rock, I run a fast-track course, or I will be running a fast-track course for the CMAP 1 exam. It's fully booked for September There are still some October dates left. So I'm going to run a course from the 2nd to the 6th of October and you can get on it for just £199, which if you've seen from anywhere else's prices is absolutely fucking ridiculously cheap. And that's just because it's the launch. So I'm going to be testing it out on you guys. But luckily, if you hate it, you get a money back guarantee and you also get access to everything, all the recordings, all the e-learning stuff for life. So it's a win-win on both ends. A lot of people have asked about the CMAP 2 and 3 course. It is coming. I just need to build it, so sit tight and bear with me. I'm still figuring out CMAP 1, but as soon as it's ready, which I've got an estimated launch date of December, there is a waitlist to get on it. So if you want to be on that waitlist and you want to be able to be the first to bag a space, drop me a message. You can literally text me. You can email me at hello at future in finance. You can slip your slide into my DMs on Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, YouTube, literally any form of social media outside of my space you can find me on. So if you do want to be on the wait list, do get in touch because it's going to get full and the spaces are going to get booked and you're going to be able to book on a masterclass for £199. And the last thing I wanted to mention for this week is if you've not seen on the YouTube channel, I've offered a free, completely free topic, one teaching guide thing. And what I mean by that is it's a 20 minute video of me teaching you all about topic one of the CMAP one textbook. If you haven't found it already, please go and check it out. It is going to be invaluable for your studies. And also while you're there, hit the like and subscribe button. And if you're listening to this on Spotify, also please hit that little notification bell button and keep messaging me as you always do every week because it's the best thing ever today. Owen messaged me and called me and I quote a fucking legend, but the legend Owen was you because that really made my day. And I think, Maria, do you have any updates for us or shall we jump in? No, I think I think we should jump in. You've sold this topic to me already. I'm not even remotely anxious about money muggling my way through it. The topic one was a whole 16 weeks ago that we covered it as well. In fact, it's longer than that and it's nearly six months ago. So, wow. Yeah, for this exam that you're never going to sit, make sure you go and check it out. Uh, Maria, if you will. Cute intro music. 
back in the room. As always, we're going to kick off with the objectives. So by the end of this topic, we should have a fairly decent understanding of the drivers for increasing regulation of the financial services industry since the 80s. And this is a fucking good one. Changes to regulatory bodies in the aftermath of the 07 to 09 financial crisis, roles and powers of the FCA and main sections of the FCA handbook. Although I'm going to be honest with you, we're probably not going to get onto that last one because as always, this is not a comprehensive study guide. If you want that, you can buy it for just a tenner. This is whatever we can cram into half an hour to give your brain a bunch of free stuff. So the first thing I guess to touch upon with this is as a mortgage advisor, regulation is literally your everyday. If you work for a brokerage, you are going to be sick of hearing about treating customers fairly. And you're going to be sick of it for good reason, because they ram it so far down your throat, you're going to choke on it. But it's because it's so important. If you don't do it, you're going to get in big trouble, like prison fines, all the kind of bad things that happen to you in prison kind of trouble. So (laughs) please pay attention to this topic. If you don't, you're not going to pass your exam. So think about what kind of stuff do you have to provide to a client before and after a meeting with them? What kind of records of transactions do you have to keep and for how long do you have to keep them for? All of that kind of stuff is related to this. This is where I would usually literally take like keynotes from the textbook and get my highlighter out and be like, this is what I'm going to talk about. Today, we're going to do it a little bit different because it's so fucking boring. Today, we are going to have a history lesson, which is in this textbook. It's just not going to be as fun as I'm about to make the next 10 minutes. So, Maria, can you paint us a picture of the 80s, please? Um, I'm not going to lie to you. No, apart from my very brief Googling, literally as we were loading this podcast. Um, So there were five notable Atlantic hurricanes. That's what I'm going to start with. And one of them was called Hugo, and that tickled me. Um, also, I think one was called Joan, although don't quote me on this because I'm definitely not an 80s uh, aficionado. Um, so Michael Jackson, big in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Also, apparently, there are a number of technological advances. The Berlin Wall came down. Don't know if that's a technological advance. That was a really hard word to say. Um, what else happened in the 80s? Big hair. Lots of big hair. Um, MTV was launched. Huge. That's a big that's- one. One of the only other things I took from my literal 30 seconds of Googling. What I feel like has happened here is this is me before my A-level, my first round of A-level exams where I'm still hungover from going out the night before, potentially still drunk. And I'm sat cramming before I go into the exam hall. Five minutes and before. the 80s cramming that you got was a hurricane called Hugo. And MTV was launched and the Berlin yeah. Wall came down. I've hit the highlights here. Also, Michael Jackson, what more do you want from me? Oh, yeah. EastEnders, Fuller House. And some other notable series that are clearly so notable, I can't remember them, were also launched, apparently. Yeah, it was all Michael Jackson, Madonna and Mullets, wasn't it? My computer is having... Can you hear it whirring? Yeah, a little bit. This episode is not sponsored by Dell. The loud... (laughs) Right into my microphone. I'm going to move the microphone further away and hope that it helps. It's definitely not going to help. Um, So... In the 80s, aside from the great hair, a bunch of really wild things went on in financial services. So first of all, the London Stock Exchange got deregulated. So how does that happen? There was not enough Googling for that. But what it meant was that 
both computerized trading and foreign investment banks could get in on the action. So I think the idea was, let's generate more interaction with the market. So let's just deregulate it. Somebody literally went, YOLO, do what you want. Let's see what happens. And spoiler alert, bad idea. So (laughs) while this is going on, a bunch of regulation that also previously applied to banks and financial institutions in the UK also disappeared Somebody literally just pulled the plug on the rules and was like, oh, what year was it that like LSD came in? Was that the 80s? Was it the 70s? Because I feel like there could be a connection. But basically, key points for the 80s is a bunch of stuff got lax on regulation or deregulated entirely. And what happened as a result is people slash corporations slash the people that work in those corporations quite literally fucked around and found out. So there was this thing called the Blue Arrow Scandal. It's well complicated. I'm going to narrow it right down, but it's just going to give you an idea of the kind of stuff that went on in the 80s. But basically, a company called Blue Arrow, 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 Blue Arrow, took out a crazy loan with Barclays. Like, I think it was about £60 million because it wanted to improve its financial status. And now if you take out a loan... The, the regulations go, okay, cool, but you have to be able to prove to us that you can afford to repay that loan. And actually what it had done is it had taken out a huge, massive loan with Barclays just before, almost like, cool, I'm going to pay off that loan with the loan that I've already got from you. It made no sense. And then what happened is they decided that they, want, they needed buying out as a company. So it massively inflated the price that the business was bought out at because it had like 80 million pounds in its bank account, which was actually just a loan on a loan that it could never have afforded to pay back anyway. The business sold for about 153 million pounds. And then it all came out that they just performed really badly financially and they just worked around the deregulation of the system. And it three executives went to prison. And I think they were a combination of Barclays executives and Blue Arrow executives, although I could be wrong. But my, my guesstimation is, is that the two worked the same and was like, oh, we could do this and make a bunch of money. And they did. They fucked around. They got found out. They went to prison. That was the highlight of financial services in the 80s. During this time, it was meant to be the Bank of England's job that were meant to be doing whatever regulating was left in place. And then we can skip forward to the 90s. Maria, what absolute highlights can you... I didn't even give you a chance to Google 90s. So I was born. Okay, so the 90s, key point here was Maria was born and then the Spice Girls got together and that's really all you need to know. Topic over, episode done. Thanks for coming. Um, (laughs) What else happened? Oh, so in the 90s, a bunch of smaller banks merged together to make bigger banks. And one of the reasons that they did this was because online and telephone banking became a thing, which is wild when you think now there are basically no branches left. And that was only... Only 30 years ago. How long? Wow. So, 90s, telephone banking, online banking became a thing. Smaller banks all got together to make these bigger banks. And the alternative investment market grew hugely. For all you key learners that remember what that is, that is the market that works alongside the London Stock Exchange, but it's for smaller startups. So, if they've not got like the millions of pounds that you need to be on the Stock Exchange, they could start up and join the alternative investment market and get initial shares. Uh, another big thing uh, another big thing that happened in the 90s was Barings Bank collapsed. So this is another good fun story time that I thoroughly enjoyed Wikipediaing not 10 minutes ago. 
So in 1995, Barings Bank suffered losses of £827 million, which in today's money is about £1.7 billion because of one employee. So <laughs> I think there's been a couple of films made on this since, but Nick Leeson, what an absolute legend. He's never getting hired again if he ever came out of prison. So in... 1994, he had done all sorts of dodgy stuff and he'd cost the company over £200 million by this point. But because we were so lax on our regulation and our checks, he declared to the British tax authorities that the company was actually £1.2 million in profit. In 1995, it all got found out. He went to prison. People made films and wrote books and he was well famous and is still famous because he's getting mentioned in this incredibly mm -hmm. famous podcast right now. So... I mean, go Nick if that's what you were looking for. But Ooh. what happened after that is everybody kind of went, there's probably not enough regulation in place given the millions and millions and millions of pounds and everybody just keeps dicking around for their own benefit. So the Financial Services Authority was established in 2001 with the Financial Services and Marketing Act. And this basically gave effect to the new regulatory regime. So this act provided all the kind of th the framework through which the Financial Services Authority were able to regulate everything like big institutions, banks, insurance companies, right the way down to employees and sole traders. I could dig into the scope of it, but it is massive. So I'm not going to. But we do need to know that there were two sectors of the industry that did not come under this new remit of the Financial Services Authority, which was mortgages and general insurance. That came in a little bit later. There was something really important. Oh, so prior to the Financial Services Authority, I know that I'd mentioned that it was the Bank of England's responsibility. So basically, this all just got transferred over to the Financial Services Authority in the early 2000s. And now, Maria, I know that you're going to ask me, uh, how did regulation change after the financial services, financial crisis of 2007 to 2009? And what a fucking good question. So <laughs> as we've mentioned, basically, it failed because there was no regulation in place. Everyone had inadequate management systems. And there was like this blame system where they were like, well, you told us we could self-regulate. So we've self-regulated as best we could, but you didn't give us any rules. So how did we know what to do? It was wild. It's like when you're in the playground and it's the he said, she said, well, Billy took my thing. So I punched him in the face. And I think that's totally fair. Exactly the same thing. I mean, I punched Billy in the face and he took my shit. So that's fair. Me too. Um, there was all the other stuff that went on as well about like fixing the labor rate, which I'm not going to bore you on labor, labor. <laughs> uh, but that is covered earlier in the textbook. And I think we covered it in like topic two of the podcast. So if you're not sure what I'm talking about, just look back, have a look. So that was the financial services authority. And then in 2013, they progressed into the Financial Conduct Authority, which are the big guys that we have in place now. So the Financial Conduct Authority, or the FCA, have responsibility for the conduct of all retail and wholesale financial firms. Maria, do you know anything about the Financial Conduct Authority? Some, not much. Um, okay. 
Also, I'm really sorry, there's an Amazon van outside and I think it's got one of those beepers vehicle reversing. So if you can hear that, have a word with Jeff Bezos because it's his fault. Um, Pekin hates them all. Um, financial Conduct Authority. Big swinging dicks of the financial world. They are the ones that you complain to. Wait, are they the ones that run the financial ombudsman service? So they're the ones you complain to if someone like, you know, your gas and electric company, United Utilities addicts and charge you too much and then decide they're not going to handle it. Look at you knowing what the next thing that was going to come up was. You already know about Boz. <laughs> well done. That's all I know. That's, that's well, it. To be honest, that's kind of basically it. So you've got the FCA and they are an independent financial independent financial regulator and they report into the Treasury and Parliament. And working alongside the FCA, you have the PRA, which stands for the Prudential Regulation Authority, mm-hmm. and they oversee the regulation of the financial services industry in the UK as well. The difference is that the FCA is all about things like conduct rules and how you should behave, whereas the PRA, Prudential, the best way I can think of like translating that into understandable terms is money. So it's like money, monetary regulation authority is how I remember it. And they basically tell businesses how they have to handle their money. So how much money they have to be able to store in bank accounts, say, you know, say they hold three million pounds worth of customer assets. It would be the PRA's job to say, okay, cool, you have to have this much liquid, liquid cash to be able to access just in case everybody knocks on your door one day and demands their money back. It's the PRA that manage that kind of stuff, not the FCA. Does that make sense? Yes. Are you sure? No. <laughs> In that case, let me take a step back even further. So the Financial Conduct Authority tell businesses how they have to operate in what they do and their customers. Yeah. The PRA, it's just cash. Oh, okay. So FCA people, PRA, yeah. money. Exactly. And the, the people side of it, can boil down to two different things. So both customers, yes, but also their staff. So how they train their staff to do their job. So that's a well good way of thinking about it. So the FCA is people, the PRA is money. And if you just understand those two, really two broad terms, you will naturally fall under the right one. Will they come, is there a chance that the definitions for those will come up in exam? It's very likely that they will ask you a question it could be along the lines of which regulating body would tell you how much, what liquidity risk analysis you have to have for your business. I've literally just thrown those words, words together and that is not a sentence. But if you get a question that asks you which regulating body is asking to deal with money, you know it's going to be the PRA. If yeah. it's anything to do with people, you know it's going to be the FCA. Got it. So the FCA basically uses its powers to make sure that there's stuff like no undue barriers to entry. And what I mean by that is it has to make sure that there isn't somebody like Jeff Bezos that has a monopoly of the market when it comes to financial services. So they want to make sure that there's fair competition in the market and there's not one provider that will just take everybody. They also... um, 
have to ensure that consumers are empowered to engage in such a way as to drive competition. So basically, all that that means is that there's no barriers in place for customers to be able to switch from British gas to octopus because British gas are putting things in uncomfortable places for them. I'm not just talking about smart meters, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it also focuses on the needs of customers and it makes sure that recommendations that are made to customers are suitable. So when we're talking about things like vulnerable customer policies and how you would deal with dealing with a customer that was potentially going into debt or had just lost somebody, all that falls under vulnerability, but it would all be FCA guidance that we'd look to for that. Right, got it. But the FCA and the PRA do work together. Although they are completely separate entities, they work closely enough to be able to exchange information that's relevant to each other's regulatory objectives, but it's done in a separate way. So they can share information, but they don't like work in the same office and they don't have the same goals or objectives. Okay, but it's just like an intelligence data sharing relationship. So it's kind of like MI5 and MI6. Yeah, or if you say something to your Alexa, who's Alexa owned by? Google. Amazon? Amazon? I don't know. But it's basically like, it is data sharing. That's exactly what it is. So you give your information to one and it can be shared between the two as 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 long as it's relevant. So it has to make judgments based on relevant information and the supervisory activity isn't jointly conducted. So if there's an investigation with the PRA, the FCA are not going to get involved. But if the FCA have evidence to support their investigation, they will provide it. Got it. Cool. The FCA also have powers to enforce what's called the Prohibitions in the Competitions Act. So that's just to do with behaviours in financial services. So when you look at things like advertising, they, they can basically put rules in place to say that you can't advertise this product because you are not advertising it in a way that is realistic. You know, when you used to watch TV adverts in the 80s and it would be like, if you drink drink fairy liquid, you will be able to lift seven lorries before breakfast. Um, And now they can't do that. If If an advert is making claims that are not, oh, Marie, give me some sentences here. You know exactly what I'm trying to say and I just can't find the words. Yeah, if if they're making misleading statements about a product or service, they basically aren't allowed to do it. Exactly. So anything like that is usually run through something called the Competitions and Markets Authority, but they again work with the FCA. So the FCA are the guys that would have the intervention powers. So it can act to ban or impose restrictions on financial products if they're lying, if they're too complicated, if they're not suitable. So it's going to be like a well dodgy loan shark manages to get a budgeting, uh, marketing budget. And you see an advert pop up in the middle of, I don't know, YouTube, how to do a cut your own hair at home video and it's like cool so we'll give you this much money and all of this and the repayment scheme is really generous yada 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 but the small print is like that they're gonna take your house and your car if you don't repay them immediately that they ask you within the week that's exactly what those guys do the other thing that the pra and the fca are jointly responsible for is the financial services compensation scheme and the Financial Ombudsman Service. So props to you for bringing that ahead of us. Well done. 
The financial services compensation scheme, which is easy for you to say and not me to say, is something that we are going to loop back around to at another point. But it's usually when people have lost money because, say, for example, if a bank collapses and you had savings with that bank, if for whatever reason you can't get it back from the bank directly, you can go to the financial services compensation scheme in a similar way that a lot of pension companies, you know, if they go bust, there is one that's specifically related to pensions, but it's the same mm-hmm. idea is that there is a scheme that you can go to that protects your money or gives you your money back. Okay. So that is uh, something that falls under the FCA and the PRA as well. Now, I know I just briefly mentioned it before, but the Competitions and Markets Authority, I need to cover it. So in 2014, the Competitions and Markets Authority replaced the Competition Commission and took over everything that was previously held by the Office of Fair Trading. It is very unlikely that you are going to get asked something that specific in your exam. I'm just giving you a bit of context because I can. So like the FCA, the Competitions and Markets Authority, the CMA, aims to promote competition for the benefit of consumers. So it's responsible for investigating mergers that could restrict competition. So one that was quite heavily featured in the media recently, was it that Amazon tried to buy AO? I don't know if it was specifically AO, but I know that they ended up blocking Amazon from buying a an appliance company because it said they would basically have the monopoly of the market and there would not be any room for anyone else to ever sell an appliance ever again. And they're not wrong because if I need a washing machine, you're damn right I'm going to AO because Amazon won't come and fit it for me. Yeah, but I mean, that's that's Amazon's aim, isn't it? That's why they've introduced like Amazon wardrobe, et cetera, et cetera, because their aim is literally to corner the online market. And they, I mean, they've pretty much done it. Yeah. And that's, so, that's the first example I've ever heard of. Of uh, I'm, There definitely will have been others. It's just one that I took note of where the Competitions and Markets Authority kind of stepped in and said, actually, no, we're not going to let this merger go ahead because it causes a risk to like so the wider. They literally have the power to go, no, back to your separate corners. This is not happening. Exactly. That's wild. Mm-hmm. The last thing that we're going to have time to cover today is the fair treatment of customers because this gets banged on about in the textbook so heavily that I just want to highlight it to you guys. And if you are working in any kind of financial services role already, you will probably want to mute me now because you will have to do that compulsory training with your business. (laughs) When you sit and you watch the video of the stick man shaking hands with other stick men and it's fair treatment of customers, what are you going to do to poor old Jeff? Because Jeff lost all of his money in a with a gambling problem i don't know it's those types of things that you hear about every day in the role but for somebody who's studying for cmat if you have never worked in financial services before this is going to be really insightful you are going to be sick of hearing about the fair treatment of customers once you're qualified and in the job in order to ensure that regulatory principles are translated into practice the fca established a very large very boring body of rules to make sure that every single customer in the world is treated as fairly as possible. So I think we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago. Now, when you ring up, they have to ask you a series of questions. So straight off the bat, if you ring and try and take out any kind of financial products, they will ask if you've recently suffered a bereavement 
or if you're going through financial difficulty or if you have any sort of impairments that might hinder your ability to understand the product and they have to make reasonable adjustments or decide that the product isn't suitable based on that. That's totally new, but that's something that's come into place off the back of new FCA guidance, which is all about treating customers fairly. So the question, I guess, is what does it mean in practice and what's the definition of fair? So the stuff that the FCA focus on is things like product design. So they'll have a look at your sales and marketing tactics. They have a look at the advice that you're giving, the selling, the administration and any post sales activities. So bit of a fun story. Me and Maria used to work in phone insurance together once upon a time, many, many years ago. And we dealt with like claims handling for people that had dropped their phone down the toilet. That was that was the ins and outs of our job way back in the day. Yeah. The FCA will look into this kind of stuff as well to make sure that we're dealing with claims and dealing with complaints and aware that everyone is treated fair. And the, it still has a way to go. Like I'm thinking about the 10 years ago that we weren't doing that job. Ooh, yeah. Um, you know, it does have a way to go when you think about some of the customers that we spoke to and how fair was that treatment. And I'm not sure... I'm not sure they're entirely there, but hopefully the industry has come a long way in 10 years. But if you are studying PC map, you're going to see a lot of it in the textbook and it is super important and it absolutely will come up in your exam, something to do with the fair treatment of customers. So just have a look over the objectives under topic 17 and make sure you have a really good understanding of it because you will thank me for it, I promise. I mean, it's going to underpin all of your professional life. That's the long and the short of it. You have got to act in your customer's best interests, not in your own pocket's best interests. So that's the fundamental building block of the financial services industry. And the reason it's come in is because the financial services industry has been a customers be fucked industry for way too long. Mm -hmm. And the reason that we're here having this discussion is because not enough people, even those in the financial industry, understand their finances there's a reason i'm a muggle about money so you know i i think that it yes it seems like it's a big a big ask and people get sick and tired of hearing about it but as a con- from the consumer's perspective it's only a good thing i mean you know if the 80s or anything to go by where they were like regulations be damned it's a free-for-all it's the wild wild west do whatever you want guys <laughs> Clearly, that went exactly zero well for everyone concerned, including the consumers. So I think more common sense and let's all try to be slightly better people to each other can only be a good thing. Preach. And you know what? That is all that we've got time for today. How good was that? Well, I think okay, we right. it was good. Hopefully... You guys at home are thinking the same thing and you got a lot from that. And if you open up your textbook to topic 17 and attempt to read it, come back and tell me that that wasn't more entertaining. I dare you. But seriously, thank you so much to everybody for listening today. Don't forget, you can go to cmap.com for loads of help with your CMAP studies. That doesn't have to cost the earth. So as well as the Fast Track Masterclass courses, I've got an e-learning platform, which is brand spanking new and has everything that you could ever possibly need. And you get lifetime access to it. You get a seven day money back guarantee if you hate it and you log in. It's 25 units to go with the 25 chapters of the textbook. I've done video tutorials. I've done audio tutorials. I've done I've built in the mock exams into the platform so that you can sit your mock exams in it and get instant feedback on every single answer that you give. It is literally golden. 
check out the reviews on Instagram because the people that have bought it as part of the early bird package, so you get it discounted, basically. You can buy it now for £130 and have access to it forever with every single syllabus update for the rest of your life. Nowhere else is offering that package. And any package that they're offering that's similar is like £600. So seriously, if you are studying for your CMAP, go and check that out. You can find it under the product section. I do one-to-one coaching. I do this podcast. I do YouTube videos. I do TikTok videos. I do Instagram stuff. The list is endless. You do not have to study through your, suffer through your CMAP studies on your own. So please go check it out. Please like and subscribe and do all that good stuff that you do every week because it means the world to me and it means the world to Maria too. I think, I'm pretty sure, I'm fairly confident that it does. Always. And I think that that is all from me. Thank you so much for having us this week and we will catch you next week. Oh, no, wait, no, wait, hang on, hold the... Don't close it down, Maria. One second. You're not going to catch us next week because we're taking a week off because the masterclass comes out the week after and I want to make sure that that is perfect for anybody that is booked on it. So Maria and I are going to have a very well-deserved, and when I say well-deserved, week off. It's not a week off. We're not. I'm just busy doing something else for a week, so you will not catch us next week, but you may catch, you probably will catch us the week after and we'll be covering topic 18 of the textbook. So thank you so much for listening. But we will still be active on social media, so definitely keep tuned in and keep paying attention for updates and everything that's happening. And there is still access. Sorry, Dom. I was going to say there is still access to all the stuff that's already out there. It's not like we're going on full hiatus and we're going to vanish out of your socials because, God forbid, the algorithm will kill us. And if enough people message and are like, how are we ever going to live without the podcast for a (laughs) week, then you might just twist my arm, but I'm not hopeful on that one. Take a week off. Damn it, I'll pray for some good weather and enjoy a bank holiday weekend. Woohoo! Cute outro music. Ooh, ooh, ooh.